0: Thank you. Good morning. morning. I just love it how we can take a book, and I think we've portioned eight speakers, and each one has quite a different uh, style and um, take on the word. So um, today it's me the God who made the world, who made all the nations, that they should inherit the whole earth. And he marked out the appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. And he did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him. So thanks, Dora, and your Vanuatu spiel there. And when Peter preached in Acts 2, 5, there were people, God-fearing Jews, and um, from every nation under heaven, and they were listed there. And these hearers, Jews, Jews and um, converts to Judaism, were amazed that these Galileans, these some were fishermen, could speak such diverse languages, sharing the wonders of God. And Peter declared in Acts 2, And the listeners were cut to the chase. Therefore, he said, let all Israel know that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Christ. They were cut to the heart and they wanted to know how they could change their position before God. And he replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you. And in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you, for your children, and for those who are far off, whom the Lord will call. Well, our Lord, the good shepherd, commissioned Peter, that fisherman, to become a shepherd, to care for and instruct the church. And Peter's letters are still feeding us, the flock, in Alexandra today. Well, Peter writes uh, in this 1 Peter 2.13 to Christians in the provinces of Turkey, to Christians from both the Hebrew and the pagan world. And they were scattered through Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, And they were scattered because they were struggling with persecutions. And they had fled from Jerusalem into foreign lands. I've been lucky enough to travel to Cappadocia, and I've seen the caves that these Christians hewed out, some of them 14 levels deep. There were dining areas with tombs in the floor because they couldn't go out to bury their dead. And the churches were painted with iconology, pictures of the Bible stories, because many of these people were illiterate. And i visited Ephesus, where the Turks are very proud to say that Mother Mary lived. She lived there with her beloved disciple John until he was arrested and sent to the island of Patmos. And even in his letter, 2 John, he writes to the elder, to the chosen lady. Had we ever considered that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was persecuted and had to flee? Well, Christians were struggling also with the new ideas like the oneness in Christ. But our scriptures tell us for we were all baptized into one by one spirit into one body whether Jews or Greeks slave or free struggling adjusting even processing this new freedom these new visions and these new hopes and i just wonder how many times do you thank god that we live here in alexandria today you know, we could be living right now in the Ukraine, we could be living in Somalia, we could be fleeing fires in Canada or cleaning up after floods in the Hawke's Bay. Our lives, our concerns, our fears and our future would look so different. If we had lived during Roman's submission of Israel, we may have seen a man ride into Jerusalem On a donkey. He had been identified as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He was crucified under Roman law, even though Pilate, the governor of the time, said, I find no charges against him. He died, and three days later, after being entombed, he rose again. His name was Jesus. His love and sacrifice changed the world one follower at a time and his followers called him Lord. So if you can call Jesus Lord today, he is your master. You are his follower and you are his servant. And though we have not seen him, We love him, we believe in him, and we're filled with an inexpressible joy, a glorious joy. And we submit, as Psalms uh, 62 says, my salvation and my honour depend on God. Well, the passages that I've um, been selected to preach on today Have about five subtitles, and quickly they mean First Peter 2 Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, slaves, submit to your masters, wives, be submissive to your husbands, husbands, consider and respect your wives, and 312 Church, submit to the eyes of or the scrutiny of the Lord. And for many, these will be quite large pills to swallow. You might be reluctant to swallow them, but I want to reverse the gagging and turn it into joyful laughter and to hope. The first chapter of 1 Peter says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus For in his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade and it's kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power. That's the hope of the Christian. And the people say, Amen. Well, God is faithful to his word. God is protector of those sheltering under his wings. And God is loving of all he has made. And God is sovereign. So whether we're submitting to Roman law in AD 33 or New Zealand law 2023, for Jesus' sake, we submit to all authority. And I'm just thinking of King Nebuchadnezzar. He got extremely cocky and he created that tall statue with the golden head and shoulders. And to God decreed to him that Nebuchadnezzar, your empire has been taken from you, you'll be driven from human society and you will feed on grass for seven years until you have learnt that the Most High rules over human sovereignty and gives it to whom He pleases. Well, if the most powerful king in the world is under God's sovereignty, we must accept that all men are also accountable to Him. And as Ecclesiastes' epilogue says, Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. That's pretty simple. Fear God and keep his commandments. So all of us here that are Christians are ambassadors for Christ. And our job is to reconcile men to God. We're his servants, and we spread the good news about the forgiveness of sins and the free gift of eternal life. Sounds like a pretty good job. And so as God's servants we should do good, and our community should know that we are honest and fair in our trading, that we're truthful in our conversations and generous towards others, that we're law-abiding and that we're respectful. And most importantly, our reverence of the Lord is our highest authority, because fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We don't want to be found wanting and we certainly don't want to be punished by God's appointed authorities. Because, you know, if the devil prowls around looking to accuse us, looking to demote demote our reputation, to discredit the sovereignty of God, well, so do the unbelievers outside this church. They are looking. And our disobedience tears down our credibility. Our credibility of the testimony of God's goodness. On the other hand, if the outside world sees trust and obedience and love expressed to humanity and self-control, then by doing good, we will silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. And foolish men are men who do not believe in God. So if we show proper respect to everyone, we love the brotherhood of the believers, we fear God and we honour the King. And even Jesus said to the disciples, whose face is on the coin, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God." There's a song in the Christian charts that says, everybody has to serve somebody. And we're told that we cannot serve two masters. Choose this day whom you will serve, said Joshua, to the people as they settled in the promised land. And throughout scripture, we hear the followers of God, the servants of God, saying, like little Samuel in the temple, speak, For your servant is listening. And God said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? And Mary, after the visit from Gabriel, announcing her pending conception of Jesus, said, I am the Lord's servant. And King David himself said, I am the servant of God from the time he was the young shepherd boy with the sheep when he was slowing Goliath, when he was ruling Israel, and even as Israel's champion poet. And he wrote to encourage us to heed scripture. He said, The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. And the precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. It says they are more precious than gold, and by them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Peter 2.18, he speaks to Christians, the lowest rank in society, the slaves. And they were told, submit to your masters. You know, slavery, the idea of chattels, of someone owning you. And you could be um, worked and housed and fed just like an oxen in the barn. And slaves could be sold and punished and disposed of at the will of their master. Well, the Bible doesn't speak against slavery. It was quite a social norm. It gave you a place to live. Hopefully, it gave you food, it gave you something to do. But the Bible does commend loving your neighbour as yourself. And regardless of where you are in the strata of um, human economics, you are a neighbour. And the Hebrew and the ancient Near East had laws protecting and providing for their servants. And if you read Exodus 21, it says a Hebrew slave can only be bonded for six years and then he has to go free without any cost. And if a Hebrew daughter had been sold as a slave, she could not be onsold but had to either be redeemed back to her family or fully provided for by her first purchaser. And I don't know if you remember Nehemiah, he got so angry when he returned to Jerusalem. The walls were down, the people were hungry, they'd been highly taxed. And he realised that Hebrews were selling their children to the Gentiles. And the sad thing there was because the Gentiles weren't under um, the Torah, that there was no protection, there was no control, there was no time out. And in New Zealand, we have the Human Rights Act, and that superseded all the slavery laws that um, Britain introduced. Even um, our Maori society had slave structures. And when the missionaries came in and the um, Slave Abolition Act came in, um, Christian Maoris released their slaves. And the Maori uh, slaves went back, and they had also been um, become Christians, and they went back throughout the Bay of Plenty through um, the East Cape and the Waikato, and there were Christian churches planted by these returning Maori slaves. And the gospel continued. Well, I want to look at four slaves in the Bible, and each one has a lesson for us to learn. So the first one is Animumus, and he was a runaway slave. And he had run away and followed Paul, who I think he was um, saved through. And after a while with Paul, Paul sent him back because, you know, he wasn't his. And Paul acknowledged that uh, the man Philemon, who was also a Christian, owned Onesimus. And Paul said, he was once useless and he was undevoted to you. But he's a Christian now. Paul also recognised that there was um, a chattel, it was a physical loss, and he said, I will honour any debt that Onesimus may have accrued. So lesson one, a slave's time belongs to his master. Example two, Hagar. Well, Hagar was the maidservant of Sarah, and Sarah couldn't have children herself. So she said to her husband, Well, you have Hagar, and I will have my children through her. Well, Hagar's body was not her own, and she despised Sarah for using her. Pregnant, Hagar fled, and the Lord met her and said, Uh uh-uh, uh, Hagar. And as Peter says, Slaves, submit to your master with all respect not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. And so Hagar went back and submitted to Mistress Sarah. And 14 years later, when Mistress Sarah had a child of her own, you could imagine the jealousy in the camp. And Sarah just got more angsty. Uh, The firstborn son got um, cocky towards the new baby and hagar said that's it she's just a slave she can go and so she just sent her out into the desert didn't matter if she died she was just a slave but no because in everywhere there is order because god is sovereign and the god who sees and uh, the god who sees encountered hagar and she he provided her and he protected her and so what we see is that there is God at the top, and there was Abraham, the husband, who consented to Hagar being sent away, Mistress Sarah and Slave Hagar, but God sovereign in the outcome. So lesson two, a slave's body is not their own. Then there were two slaves that had a really good attitude to their masters. So Joseph, sold by his brothers, stripped of his prestigious cloak, shackled and forced to walk hundreds of miles, and he was purchased by Potiphar for his physical attributes, and he served with him as a slave in Egypt. You know, Joseph was from a business family, a farming family, they traded, they were free, But he did not complain about the injustice of it all or claim his rights. He just trusted that God had a purpose in where he was placed. And he decided not only to endure but to be the best and to do the best and to bless his master. And Potiphar soon saw that God blessed everything that Joseph did and he was promoted. So lesson three Joseph's respectful attitude was a testimony to his trust in God. Enslaves are not just adults. Um, put your hand up if any of you have gone and seen The Sound of Freedom that's on the theatre at the moment. Story of an FBI agent who goes in to rescue a little boy in South America and he realises that this little boy's got a sister who's also been taken as a slave. So it's on at the movies now. We saw it last night. Um, There's some pretty nasty people that do pretty exploitive things to our children. Well, this unnamed child in Syria uh, was probably a bounty of a war raid. And she was the servant of Naaman's wife. She was still a child, but she knew about the Lord God. She knew about the prophet Elijah. And so when this little slave girl saw that her master was suffering from a skin disease, her heart went out to him. And she shared her faith. And she said to the mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who was in Samaria he would cure him of his leprosy. Her eyes, this little girl, saw a need and her heart did not harbour resentment but respect. And as you read through the account, you see a chain of submission. The wife shares the little girl's faith with her husband. Naaman gets permission from the king to travel to Samaria. Naaman learns to submit to an unseen prophet. He found that really hard. And when he obeys, he receives the miracle of instant healing from his leprosy. And he's convicted of the authority, the sovereignty of God. So lesson four, a slave girl's faith and compassion changed a man's eternity. And this is the reason why I think Peter talks about submission. Whatever you do, for the glory of God, submit, save a lost soul, exhort the Lord's name. And we could modernize that to today. You know Slavery is illegal in many countries, definitely New Zealand. But we can still be subject to a master like through the Employment Agreement contract. So the owner of the business sets the rules. Uh, The purpose of the work, uh, the time of the work, the standard of the work, and who you have to work under. And the owner of the business is still under New Zealand law, who's under God's authority. Well, some of you know that I work in spiritual care. I work for the Otago Community Hospice, and my employment contract says we are secular. And I can have no faith bias in my work. I cannot work as a Christian, and I cannot work as a chaplain. And I'm facing palliative people, patients whose death is imminent. That sacred moment with the breath of life, the Hebrews call it ruach, when the ruach ceased, and when the body separates from the soul and the spirit goes back to God, the giver of life. You know, it's a beautiful and um, privileged work but sometimes it's extremely heart-wrenching. I walk beside families that are letting their loved ones go, and they're struggling and they're distressed, and I see them it's almost like they're bursting to ask those big questions which society says don't even go there. things like, "What happens after death?" Well, I see them again. Is there a God?" but they don't ask Christian faith has not been part of their practice the Bible has not been their instruction manual and yet when I walk into a home or I meet a patient or meet their families eternity is my spirit's focus but my employment contract says I must stay faith neutral it is so hard so I can ask leading questions like, are you at peace? Do you have any questions about leaving this world? Have you got any unfinished business? Or did you have any faith teachings as a child? They're just little windows that could be opened to conversation. And sometimes they lead to discussion with Christian content and with scripture and prayer but sometimes I have to walk away stonewalled. I just trust that God will prompt a question next visit if they have the time. Maybe God just knows that their name will not be written in the book of life. But for all of us, and this is where the submission comes in to the word of God, not just my employment contract, we are told set apart Christ. As Lord, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. So can you see the order? The believer lives a life of hope and says nothing. But the unbeliever sees that life of hope and asks a question. And then the believer has the responsibility because they've had the invitation. So there is an order in the word of God. And if a Christian can't be trusted in the workplace, who can be? Well, being a servant is not natural and submitting is hard. But Jesus was the prime example of servanthood for bearing up under unjust punishment he the innocent the holy one of god punished for others sins ours mine yours and we're told that in the being in the very nature of god he did not consider equality to god something to be grasped and he made himself nothing jesus committed no sin No deceit was found in his mouth. He never lied, he never hid the truth, and he never tricked anyone. And yet he was placed onto the cross, suspended by nails, bleeding out, struggling for breath, punished unjustly. And when the people hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. And as they pushed a crown of thorns into his skull, mocking his divine kingship, he did not threaten them, he just prayed, "Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do." And he entrusted himself to those who judges, to him who judges justly. And he paid the price for us. He redeemed us that our slavery to sin may be paid by his blood, and believing in him, we can be free people, free from the burden of sin, free from the debt of sin, free from the accuser of sin, and free from the judgment of sin. And the people said, amen. Amen. Well, in 1 Peter 3, 1 to 6, Peter flips this over really quickly, and he said, so in the same way, wives, be submissive to your husbands. So I had to go back and read, what did Jesus do? How did he submit? Listen to this. Do not seek equality with your husband. Do not take, take on the nature of a servant. Let there be no deceit in your mouth, no threats, no retaliation. Pray for your husband and entrust yourself to God who judges justly. Wow. <laughs> Why? So that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over by your behaviour. That's another wow. Well, I um, became the wife with an unbelieving husband in Edendale six years into my marriage. And that's why I chose to speak on this passage. As a a young family, uh, we had no faith affiliation at all. My husband had been raised as a Catholic boy and he'd parked that. Uh, He believed in God, he said, but just parked it. We'd never discussed faith at all. And I'd been um, christened as a little baby into the Anglican church, but my parents only went to church for christenings, funerals and weddings. You know, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Well, I had just made the decision as a young mum of three children not to celebrate Christmas anymore because I just didn't believe in that story. I decided I was going to open my presents on New Year's Day because that was very tangible. But I also believed that my children should make their own faith story and um, be exposed to different teachings. So when Christian neighbours came up the drive and said, look, we'll take your children to Sunday school, or if they'd like to go to church or rally, and I went, fine, they can make their own decision. So of course, we started to rub shoulders with the Christian community, and sometimes I'd attend an outreach. And then one day, a very bold neighbour drove up my drive, came into my house, gave me a Bible, said, read the book of John, and she just left. I thought wow she's pretty bossy but she'll come back and ask me so I better read the book of John (laughs) so I did and then I read the rest of the Bible and all of a sudden I realised that things I thought I knew about God were wrong and that in fact he was loving as we can see by today's talk he's ordered and he's approachable and in Isaiah 40 it says gently he leads those with young Well, I was a young mum with three little people under five. And I decided I wanted this God in my life. And I trusted that my God believed in my marriage vows, that he wanted my husband brought to faith, and that my family was set apart. The Bible calls it sanctified because of my faith. So after offering up that prayer... I rang a Christian neighbour and I said, I've asked Jesus to come into my life. And then I thought, oh no, I've told someone before I've told my husband. What's going to happen if all these Christians get really excited and start ringing me up or visiting? So how am I going to ask my, my, tell my husband this? And um, I thought, that's it, I'll just get really cosy with him. And he was out on the tractor, so I <laughs> went across the paddock. That's strange, he's coming across the paddock. Climbed up into the tractor got really close to him and he said he looked at my face and he said who's coming and I thought if only you knew (laughs) 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 Mm. we talked about it later and he said I was a bit worried he said I thought it could have been a cult it could have been a fad but here we are and uh, 12 years later we became equally yoked again amen Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Don't do anything that goes against what a loving God and loving your neighbour looks like. Consider is it true? Is it noble? Is it right? Is it pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy? That's our only out for not obeying our husbands. And the classic is Abigail. And she had to use initiative on the spot to thwart David's anger. David had said, you know, sort of curse me if by tonight any of Nabal's men still live. He was going to wipe out the men of Nabal's uh, family, his servants. And She acted with this because it was the right thing to do, to save her people. And even the aggressive David said, May you be blessed, Abigail, for your good judgment. Peter also says, A quiet and gentle spirit of great worth in God's sight. A husband will have full confidence in her, lacking nothing of value bringing him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She is clothed with strength and dignity and has confidence in tomorrow. And I'm going to put a bracket around that and go, and eternity. She speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. And her children and husband call her blessed and praise her. You know, we can wear wives gold jewellery and fine clothes, And we can cut and dye our hair or tie our hair up and wear makeup. But, you know, you can put a gold ring in a pig's nose and it's still a pig. (laughs) So what really counts is the beauty of a selfless spirit. Our motivation to love and care for those who God draws into our lives. Because charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. So what have we learned? Our body is not our own. Our time is not our own. We were bought with a price, the blood of Jesus. Peter, as he writes, gets a balance going on here because God had said, you know, it's not good for a man to be alone. And he created Eve and Adam became a husband. And husbands, Peter said, are are instructed to always, always treat their wives with consideration and respect, even though she is the weaker partner, or because she is the weaker partner. I don't know if you watched um, Valerie Adams the other day, the um, documentary on her. She stands six foot four, and she's an absolute powerhouse. But not many of us are that tall, or that strong and I never want to be physically capable of what my husband can do. So if husbands um, love their wives the way that Jesus loves the church, he sacrificed himself for her and a man is told to look after his wife like he looks after his own body and I've seen men in town when their wives aren't looking and they can look after their own body really well, can't they? They're at the chip shop or the dairy, getting their little treats. <laughs> he feeds it and he looks after it. Well, this command is directly submission to God. I hear submit to God in the same way, follow Jesus' example and look, for your, look after your wife. And Peter said, you know, remember, you're actually equals with your husband in the sense that you are heirs in the generous gift of life. And I loved Jesus' promise to us. He said, in my father's house are many rooms, and I go and prepare one for you. And if I prepare one for you, I will return and take you to where I am. What a promise for any servant to hear. This and all the promises will never perish, spoil, or fade. So if I had to link all these passages on submission together, we'd like to sum it up that um, if we follow Paul and he says, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. I'm going to read that again. Paul said, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. And if we understood that we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. For the eyes of the Lord, our Master, are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to our prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. I'm going to say um, four sentences, and if you agree, go Amen. I want the Word of God to have mastered me. Amen. I want the Word of God to be my bottom line of authority. Amen. I want the Spirit of God to be my master, giving me instructions of when and what to say and do. Amen. And I want Jesus, the servant of God, to be my example of submission. Amen. And as we serve our Lord, where he has placed us, may you hear, well done, good and faithful servant, come and share in your master's happiness. Submit and be a blessing.